All right. If you have Bibles with you, please open up to Job chapter 33. Today I'm going to take a break from the Gospel of John. We've worked our way through nine chapters of John's Gospel. And initially I was going to go on to chapter 10. I just felt like the Holy Spirit leading me in a different way today. And so we'll get back to the Gospel of John chapter 10 <laughs> next week. So, God speaks to people. He speaks in dreams and in visions. Job chapter 33, verses 14 and 15 say this. For God does speak, now one way, now another, though no one perceives it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on people as they slumber in their beds. Those are verses 14 and 15. Job chapter 33. It's, that's just one scripture of many that I could use from the Old Testament that tells us that God speaks to people in dreams and visions. I want to offer you a New Testament verse. This is on the day of Pentecost. And this is what St. Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I think there's clear biblical evidence in both the Old and New Testament that God speaks to his people. As a matter of fact, how many of you guys have an actual printed Bible with you today? I know most of us use electronic versions. You have, you have a printed Bible? That book is documented evidence throughout the ages that we have a God who speaks. He, in vast ways, a whole variety of ways, he speaks to his people. And he still speaks. He speaks in dreams and visions. In biblical times, he speaks in dreams and visions today. God speaks to me in dreams and visions. And what I'd like to do today is share with you excerpts from a series of visions I had back in February of 2010. Now, please remember this. Some of you have heard me share some of my stories before, but I like to preface it with this. <clears throat> God doesn't speak to me in visions because I'm good. He speaks to me in visions because he's good. God doesn't speak to me in visions because I'm special. He speaks to me in visions because he's extraordinary. I can tell you right now, Nadine can tell you right now, if it was based upon my personal goodness, I would see nothing. Right? What? I'm, I'm not that good. I'm really not. But he is. It really is. It's all about grace. It's all about him. From the years 2008 to 2013, every February 11th, God would speak to me in a series of 40 visions over 40 days. And it was just an amazing time. Uh, it was just extraordinary. And from many of those visions, the, where God would take me is a place that I refer to as the lobby. I, I don't know why God used this, this design, this layout, but it's what he did for me. Um, it kind of looked like a 1940-ish motif, a hotel lobby, kind of ornate in that setting. And I can could, I could remember walking in the front doors and the, and the desk where you would check in was off to the left, and there was a little bell on the counter. And uh, off to the 
Off to the right, there was this beautiful fireplace, ornate mantle. There was a couch in front of it, a couple of chairs, a little table. Fire in the fireplace. Beautiful picture up above the fireplace. Straight ahead were the elevators, and they would take you to different places. And throughout the series of visions over these years, God would often take me back to the lobby as a bit of a starting point. And from there, I would have encounters with spiritual beings, heavenly beings, and, um, and we would go places or do things. And they would, they, would, they would instruct me. They would give me lessons, things to learn. And um, I discovered over time that these heavenly beings often represented some aspect of the nature and the character of God. And I want to share some of that with you this morning. Let me just say this as I begin, that these visions that God has given to me, they're in no way, shape, or form equal to Scripture. They're not equal to Scripture. Um, if there's a, a conflict between what I've seen in a vision and, and what is clearly stated in Scripture, well, then Scripture wins. And I need to, I need to go back and re-examine you know, what I've seen. The Scripture says that we see in part, and we know in part, and I'm convinced that I see only in part. I know only in part. But I've seen something, at least part of something, and I'm willing to share from time to time the things that he's let me see parts of. So they're in no way equal to Scripture. They're just the way that the Father speaks to a son. He tells me stories. The Father tells me stories in language that I understand. He speaks to me in a language that makes sense to me. It's one of the ways, just one, but one of the ways that God communicates with me. Now, the messages that are communicated to me in these visions, I know that they're specific to me. God's speaking to Tom about Tom. He's speaking to me about me. But as is often the case in life, sometimes the life lessons that we learn, they can be applicable to other people. Now, I know that they've spoken to me about my life, but you might find that some of it also speaks to the circumstances in your life. So I'm not offering this vision or these visions today as some type of universal truth of applicable to all people. So I'm not doing that. Instead, would you think of it as part of my testimony? We've over the last six or eight months or so, we've had people share their testimony every couple of months. It's been powerful. It's their story. And sometimes as we listen to the way that God's worked in other people's life, it's been powerfully encouraging to us. It's really built us up. So if it helps you today, if, if hearing that God speaks to someone in dreams and visions is a little bit outside your box, would it help if you put it in that container? This is part of my story, part of, part of my testimony. It's one aspect of my spiritual journey. So please, I invite you this morning, feel free to eat the meat and throw away the bones. Does that help? Okay, so if that sets the table. I've learned some lessons in love and humility. I needed to learn some lessons in love and humility, and this is one of the ways that God communicated them to me. So after an extraordinary experience, on February 17, 2010, at the end of it, I was introduced to a powerful heavenly being referred to as the spirit of might. Now, if you look at Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2, it lists what's commonly referred to as the seven spirits of God. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. 
The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So the spirit of might is listed right there. The word might here in Hebrew means strength or valor or bravery. But another meaning can be the mighty deeds of God. And I believe that in this experience, what I was encountering in this vision was, was that. The, the spirit of might as the mighty deeds of God. And I was introduced to the spirit of might by the spirit of counsel. I have a lot to share today, and if I tried to do all that part of the story too, I don't know, we would be here way too long. So I'm just trying to begin. It's kind of like a book, and we're not starting at page one. We're kind of jumping in the middle here. So the spirit of counsel introduces me to the spirit of might. And this is what the spirit of might says to me. He says, I have power over life and death. At the Father's command, nations rise or fall. Wastelands are transformed and kings are toppled. Kind of sounds like the spirit, the spirit of might or, or the mighty deeds of God. Kind of sounds like that to me. Sound like that to you? <laughs> the spirit of might goes on. He says, the... He says, only those with the Father's heart, this is what the Spirit of Might continues and says, and says to me, only those with the Father's heart, familiar with the ways of love, can be trusted to walk in the Spirit of Might. You see, by my authority, death is rebuked, and by my power, barren lands are transformed. He continues, there are dark days ahead, the Father is testing the hearts of men to see who can be trusted with the spirit of might. And he looked at me and he said, you're being tested. He said, learn the ways of love. Know the Father. None but these can be trusted. He waits. The spirit of might waits, letting the weight of his words settle into me. And he repeats his message. He says, very soon, the world will desperately need men and women who know the ways of love, who know the Father, and who can be entrusted with me. And with that, the spirit of Mike turns and he leaves. So a few things got my attention here. <clears throat> the first was that there were, there were dark days coming and the spirit of Mike would be needed. And that the Father's testing the hearts of men and women to see who can be trusted with the spirit of mind. That I'm being tested. Now, get this. When we're being tested by God, it's not because he needs to discover the results. He already knows the results. <laughs> when we're being tested, it's so that we would know the results of the test. It's not for his information, it's for ours, right? He told me that I needed to learn the ways of love, that I needed to know the Father better. Because none but these would be trusted. And that love and knowing the Father would have qualified to be able to operate in the spirit of might. And i got to tell you, this is back in 2010. This is more than four years ago. It feels like I've been in school ever since. Learning the ways of love. And learning how to, how to actually know the Father. Ever since then. And I, I can't help but wonder. Maybe. Just maybe. We don't see much of, the, much of God's power. We see less of God's power today. Could it be that we see so little of God's power in the North American church 
Because we don't know the ways of love. And because we don't know the fall. I don't know. Maybe we can connect some dots there. And so that's the vision kind of ended on that first day. The next day, now for me, the way this has worked over the years, God in his mercy and grace, a story will begin one day and it kind of comes to a conclusion. And when I meet with him the next day, sometimes it picks right up where the story left off. And that's, and that's what happened this next day. As I'm, as I'm pressing in, just spending time in the Lord's presence, those words from the spirit of might are echoing in my ears. It's, you're being tested. Learn the ways of love. Know the Father. None but these can be trusted. I'm just kind of pondering that. And so as I'm pondering that, I find myself back in the lobby, in the hotel lobby. Matter of fact, I'm sitting in the middle of the couch right across from the fireplace. And, um, and as I sit there, these two young ladies come, young girls, teenagers, and they just kind of plop in on either side of me. You ever see a teenage girl just plop on the couch? Right? That's exactly what they did. And, um, and as they did, sometimes you just kind of know that you know. I knew something as soon as they sat down. I knew that the one on my right-hand side was love, and the one on my left-hand side was humility. Now, you see, I've had, had other experiences before with the spirit of love, and I've had other experiences before with, with a heavenly being known as humility. But they looked like much, more, much older, much more mature women. The, the, the spirit of love that I met before kind of looked like a woman, a woman, an adult woman in her 40s. And humility was like this little old lady. But as soon as they sat down, I knew them by the spirit. Even though they looked different, I knew that one was love and the other was humility. They looked so different, younger, like teenagers, <clears throat> dressed in blue jeans and T-shirts. Love was wearing, um, you ever see when, maybe this was back in 2010, but I don't know, where girls would wear like two shirts, one shirt over the other. Remember that style kind of thing? This is how they were dressed. Love was wearing two T-shirts, blue over white, and humility was wearing a green T-shirt over white. Love's hair was blonde with these golden highlights pulled back into a high ponytail. But humility's hair was, was short and dark brown, kind of swept over to one side with bangs. This is what I saw. I, mean, I just record what I see. Why they look that way, I'm not really sure. Well, as the, as the story unfolds, I kind of get a, an understanding of why they, they, they appeared, manifested as it were in the vision as, as teenagers. So they plopped down, and in unison... They say, um, we'll teach you the ways of love. And humility says, lesson number one, it's not about you. And love, all kind of perky and excited, adds in, it's all about me. Because I am love. And you picture that. Lesson number one. There are nine lessons I'm going to share with you today. The first one. Lesson number one, it's not about you. And love, all kind of perky and excited. It's all about me. Because I am love. And i got to tell you, when I heard the words, I am love, there was a weightiness. There was an impact to her words. I am love. It almost knocked me off my seat. <clears throat> I think I would have fallen if each one of them hadn't grabbed me by the arms to kind of steady me. It was so impacting hearing the words. And with that understanding kind of flooded my mind. I am I am is love. The great I am is love. It's just a simple yet incredibly profound truth. 
impact on me that day. The one who spoke to Moses at the burning bush declaring, I am who I am, is love. The Jesus who declared that I am he when the soldiers came to get him and that all the soldiers fell at the ground at his words, that Jesus is love. So I knew this encounter by the power that emanated from these two very simple, unassuming spiritual beings, that they, they represented pieces, aspects, slices, as it were, of God. It's all about love. Love is selfless. Love is otherly. Love is other-focused. And our God is love. So with that, you know, after they kind of steady me on the couch, humility says to me, let's go for a walk. And though she appears young, she carries authority and weight in her words. So when she said, let's go for a walk, it wasn't like it was a suggestion. It was like, we're going for a walk, all right? Okay. And so we stand, and as we stand, the scene changes as, things, as these things can happen in dreams or visions. We're not limited by uh, the laws of physics when it comes to a dream or a vision. The scene changes, and we're on a, we're on a path in a park. It's a beautiful park. It looked very much like a park I'd seen the day before as part of the experience that I'd had with the spirit of might. Uh, the three of us are walking hand in hand uh, down the path as we pass by this massive tree in the center of the park. And, um, and as I'm, lo I'm looking at this tree, remembering the vision from the day before, and oddly, it just this is kind of just self-disclosure self in who I really am. I'm looking at this, this giant tree that was created the day before. You see, the spirit of might, when he said he transforms the land, when I had seen this land the day before, it was a barren land. He took this mighty sword, drove it into the ground, and it transformed the land. And right where he drove that sword in, this beautiful, amazing-looking tree grew. And so that was the day before's vision. I'm looking at this tree, and for whatever odd reason, I'm kind of feeling prideful about this. Hey, I got to see this yesterday. How cool am I? You would think I would have a different response. But I am who I am. It's not all good. He doesn't show me these things because I'm good or I'm special. He's good. He's extraordinary. So actually, I'm feeling kind of prideful as I'm remembering the vision from the day before. <clears throat> Why did I have pride? I don't know. It's because I witnessed it. You know, sometimes it can be a heady th thing to have experiences with God. And, it's, and there's actually an ability for pride to get in there, at least with me. And so, as this pride kind of bubbles up in my heart, I suddenly, I stumble. And I twist my right ankle. But love's grip keeps me from falling. That could probably preach all by itself, right? And with the very next step, my left knee buckles. But now it's humility's grip that keeps me up. I'll probably preach too. Every few steps, I seem to trip over something on the path. I stumble over my own two feet or, or some kind of pothole or something. And each time, love and humility keep me from falling on my face. I can't seem to take two steps without their help and their assistance. And you'd think the response to this would be the gratitude, that I'd be grateful that they're helping me and keeping me from falling. But I've got to tell you the truth, I'm actually kind of getting upset. I'm, I'm irritated, I'm frustrated that I can't seem to take two steps without stumbling. And rather than being grateful, I'm kind of feeling prideful, like I'm supposed to be a grown man here, I should be able to walk my own two feet, and I've got these two little girls that are helping me walk. 
And so pride, even anger, is kind of bubbling up out of the frustration. This is what's in my heart. And I'm thinking to myself, hey, I'm the man here. I shouldn't need help from these little girls. I'm just being honest with you. Now I know why love and humility came to me as young girls. Because if they came to me as mighty warriors, I might have responded differently. But God will offend our hearts. He will, he will offend our minds to reveal our hearts. And he sent aspects of his own nature in a format that would offend my mind and reveal my heart. You know what was in my heart? Pride was in my heart. Anger was in my heart. Self-righteousness was in my heart. Self-sufficiency, independence, control was in my heart. I know that none of you guys suffer with that stuff, but it was in me. And, I, and so I kept thinking to myself, I should, I should be able to do this by myself. As a matter of fact, I should be helping them. And so the next thing I know, I am flat on my face. As those thoughts go through my mind, bam, I'm like nose to the dirt. My knees and my palms are badly skinned. My face is covered with dirt. And so from above me, I hear the laughter of giddy, giggling little girls, teenage girls. And, they, and through their laughter, they said to me, lesson number two. <laughs> you can't walk this walk without us. And then they laughed some more. Now, I've said this before when I shared visions. If I was making this stuff up, I would look a whole lot better in my visions if I was making this up. And so i got to tell you, their laughter is infectious, and I can't help but laugh myself. And so they help me stand up, and they, they wipe the dirt off my clothes, and they clean out the wounds. But I did take note of the fact that even though they cleaned out the wounds, and I'm sure they had the ability to do so, they didn't completely heal the wounds. That kind of caught my attention. They didn't completely heal them. They didn't completely remove them like I thought they might. And as happens in my vision sometimes, as I think things, they respond to my thoughts. They, can, they know what I'm thinking. Humility responds to my thoughts. She says, these wounds will help you on the next part of the journey. And love adds, they'll help you remember today's lessons. And I've thought to myself, isn't that usually how life works for most of us? That today's mistakes are tomorrow's wisdom? I don't know, it's kind of how it's been for me most of my life. Uh, I make a mistake and hopefully I go forward a little bit wiser than I was before. So this next thing really impacted me. Humility reaches down and touches my shoes. You see, I'd been wearing these really thick, heavy hiking boots, almost like work boots, really thick-soled and leather and just... Really strong boots. And as soon as humility touches the boots, they disappear. And I'm, I'm barefoot. And this is what humility says to me. He says, this will help you walk with less arrogance. Just, there was no, there was no um, uh, it wasn't an accusatory tone. It wasn't like she was trying to zing me. It was just fact, you know. And the, the words really, you know, pierced my heart. Only because they're so true. So humility says, this, this will help you walk with less arrogance. This is what love adds. She says, it's easy to be arrogant when you don't feel. You see, I, I just bowed my head at that point. I really felt the impact of conviction. 
See, I closed off so many parts of my heart. I've been wounded in my journey. Anybody else ever been wounded in church? I've been in church for a long, long time. I've been wounded. Some well-meaning people did some really hurtful things to me. And one of my ways of trying to, trying to deal with it was, I'll just put these heavy boots on. I'll just stomp right through. And I just won't feel. And if I don't feel, I can't get hurt, right? <clears throat> my arrogance. They took the boots off me. Knowing my thoughts, love reached over and touched my heart. She could sense the pain I felt. And with her fingertips, she says, but now you'll begin to feel again. And I could feel life go into me. A real change took place in my heart that day. The weight of her words on my shoulder was almost overwhelming. And I could feel warmth just kind of spread throughout my chest and cover my whole body. I could feel myself just, just coated, covered, and bathed in this golden amber light. And for a long time, I just stood there barefoot on the path Enjoying the love of warmth's, uh, the warmth of, uh, of love's touch. So after a while, the, I, I lack words, but the glory begins to fade. And I extend my arms. Now, before this, we were walking hand in hand, remember? And they were kind of keeping me as I stumbled. <clears throat> now my posture has changed. I, I extend my arms and I invite them to come in. And so love and humility come closer and they smile and I could see that this is, this is a good thing, and I, I put my weight on them. Less arrogant, less prideful now. And so they carry the weight as we walk, and we slowly we proceed step by step, feeling the impact of each step beneath my bare feet. <clears throat> There's no stumbling now. And looking down for the first time, I can see that their feet are bare too. But more than that, I could see, I could see the scars of the nail holes from the crucifixion in their feet. And I realized again, in God's creative, poetic, personal way of communicating to me, that these were aspects of God. This love and humility were aspects of his nature. They bore the scars in their own feet. And I just welled up and I cried and I cried. There's a powerful sense of conviction that, that led effortlessly to a place of repentance. I'd had so much pride, so much arrogance, so much sin. I just cried out for God to forgive me from the depths of my heart. And as I did, I could feel love and humility both grow stronger around me. I could feel their strength build and increase beneath my arms. <clears throat> and then in unison they said to me lesson number three humble repentance makes love grow stronger humble repentance makes love grow stronger it had been such a powerful such a rich day <clears throat> what I share with you in just minutes seemed to go on for an eternity for me I realized as I communicated with love and humility. Sometimes it's hard to tell them apart. They were almost like twins, even though hair color was different, dressed a little bit differently. Their heart was the same. They were, they were both expressions of God's heart. 
So the three of us continued down the path, barefoot, arm in arm, as, as that day's worth of visions ended. The next day, on February 19th, 2010, again, we picked up where, right where we left off the day before. Walking the path with my arms <clears throat> and my weight on the shoulders of love and humility. Slowly we're walking one step by one step together down this winding path. And there's so much life around us. There's beautiful flowers on every side, majestic trees, dozens and dozens of birds in a rainbow of colors singing above our heads. It was just, it was beautiful. It was just breathtakingly beautiful. And out of the corner of my eye, I can notice this very large tree off to the path, off of the path on my right. It's not that same tree that was in the center. This is a different tree, large tree, very large, but off to the path on my right. And as I turn to look at it, a large limb from this tree swings and swats me right in the center of my chest, squarely in my chest, knocks me back about 100 feet. This nailed me. Like getting hit in the chest with, with a massive baseball bat. Even that doesn't seem to describe it well enough. So I'm lying breathless on my back, and I notice that love and humility have not lost their grip on me. If anything, they seem to be holding me a little bit tighter. I also took note of the fact that their presence didn't prevent me from taking a hit. I'm not really happy about that. <laughs> Helping me up, I hear them say this, lesson number four. We don't stop you from getting hit. But we do make sure you survive the landing. <laughs> we'll stop you from getting hit, but we do make sure you survive the landing. And we'll help you stand again if you let us. So, again and again, we go through this process. We walk down this path. And each time, at that same spot on the path, right where that tree is, the massive limb takes another swat at me, boom, I get hammered and I go flying back. But with each time, love cleans me off, helps me back up, and encourages me. And after each hit, she whispers in my ear, love never gives up. Okay. We walk down the path. I get hit again, helps me up, cleans me off, whispers in my ear, love cares more for others than for self. Walk down the path again. Take another hit. Love cleans me off. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Love doesn't force itself on others. Love isn't me first. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Oh, this one was rough. Love doesn't keep a score of the sins of others. I could keep it score on this tree. I keep getting hammered. Love puts up with anything. Oh, my goodness. I had lessons to learn. Love trusts God always. <laughs> Love always looks for the best in others. Love never looks back but keeps on going to the end. Love never fails. You guys have heard those words before, right? That's right out of 1 Corinthians 13. So after each hit by the same tree and the same path, love would help me up. Dust me off and whisper in my ear, truth from the word. I got to tell you, 
after this happened so many times, I'm kind of getting tired of this constant repeated beating, and I'm really not sure I want to do this anymore. It's like, can we find another path? Can we go a different way? <clears throat> and again, knowing my thoughts, humility says to me, there's only one way to get past this, and it's me. Lesson number five, stay low. <laughs> so once again with humility and love's faithful senses I stand <clears throat> they help me dust off station themselves yet again under my arms and we begin the journey forward now I'm nervous I'm tentative I got a really tight grip on both of these on love and humility tighter than before they didn't seem to mind now, as we approach the area of the path Beside the massive tree, humility says this to me, follow me. And when she said the words, follow me, it sounded just like Jesus. <clears throat> and he said, follow me, I'll make your fishes of men. Follow me. She says, I've been this way before. And the words of Philippians chapter 2 came to my mind. Let me just read some of those verses from the beginning of chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Does this sound like love and humility to you? Because it sounds like love and humility to me. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name, that's a bit above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh. Jesus could humble himself. <coughs> Who am I not to humble myself? If Jesus could humble himself in love, I can humble myself in love. So humility bows down very low, belly to the ground. Joyfully, love joins her. And I follow their lead. So crawling forward as one, love says, now follow me. And the three of us proceed forward. First a little to the right, a little to the left. And right on cue, at that very same spot, so many times before, the massive tree you know, it swings its mighty limb yet again. Right on target, coming right for me. Except this time, it harmlessly passes overhead. Stayed low. Tree still took a shot at me. But because of love and humility, it missed. I was greatly relieved. <laughs> so we scurry forward a little bit further and we, we stand and I, and I hear love and humility say to me again in one voice, Lesson 6. Humility knows the way, but love will see you through. I was just overwhelmed by the simplicity of it. Humility knows the way, but love will see you through. 
I had so much to learn. So standing, much relieved to be on the other side of this tree, I turned to humility and love, and I asked him, hey, wouldn't it be better just to cut that limb off the tree? Well, let's say we just cut, this, just cut the whole tree down, right? <clears throat> and first they look at each other, and they look at me rather sternly. And they say, that tree has been divinely set in place. It says, only the gardener can prune that tree. You're not to touch it. Ooh. Without that tree, you and many others like you would never have had the opportunity to learn these and many other very important lessons. So like I said, these were messages spoken to me about me and my journey. And for me and my journey, that tree was necessary. See, I teach classes on dreams, and one of the things I know about these classes is that trees often are represent, they represent leaders. How do I get that? Well, in Daniel chapter 4, 22, Daniel's interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Daniel had a dream with a mighty tree in it. And Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, you are that tree. Anybody here have been hurt by a leader? I've been hurt by leaders. I've learned many lessons <clears throat> from the good and the bad leaders in my life in loving humility. And so looking back in the way we came, I could see the battered bodies of many who never made it past the tree. Some to the right of the path, others to the left. All of them look completely defeated. I grieve for them. And humility says to me, it's time for us to move on. Love adds, but you'll pass this way again, and you'll have an opportunity to walk with them as we walk with you. So I've been a, I've been a pastor for 28 years now. And i got to tell you what, I've had some wonderful examples in my life. I've had some terrible examples of leadership and pastors in my life. From some of the people who've been leaders, I've learned what I want to do as a pastor. From others, <clears throat> I've learned the things I absolutely don't want to do. And though I never enjoyed the hard examples, certainly getting swatted by the trees, if nothing else, it taught me that I don't want to do that to another person. So it was valuable to my journey. I don't say that to justify or validate spiritual abuse. I think it's horrific. I don't want to see it happen to anybody else. So I'm back on the garden. This is that, and so it ends that day. The next day, I'm back on the garden path. Love and humility are here. Both still appearing as... as... Um, as a young teenage girls. This is actually a few days later on February 24th. <clears throat> Welcome back, says love. Ready for today's lessons, Edge Humility? Smiling and happy to see them, I say yes. I said, great, let's go. So we're back on that path, we're continuing on the path, walking arm in arm. And we come to the edge of the park and, and there's this deep, cavern in the ground, like a, a split in the ground, very wide uh, and very long, very deep, very, very wide. And um, so we get right to the edge of this, this cavern and, and wafting up from below is a, this horrible stench of 
I don't know what death smells like, but this seemed like it would, if that's what death smells like, that was the smell. It was horrible. <clears throat> and my instinct was to back away. But love and humility held me firm. Lesson number seven. Love stands firm when everyone else backs away. Humility told me that. So pressing forward and holding tightly on the humiliation and love, I look over the edge and the cavern is deep and it's dark except for the glow of what appears to be some kind of lava at the bottom. It's sulfurous stench. is just beyond description. <clears throat> Humility says to me, that, that's the wages of sin and the effects of sin on the land. And he says, this is the wages of sin, the effects of sin on the land. And then says, now watch this. Love runs to the edge of the cavern and dives into the deepest place. <laughs> like, like a cliff diver. And it happened so quickly, I was stunned, I was breathless, I was a bit horrified. Holding, hold, holding me closer, humility just says, watch. And the first thing I notice is like this hiss of steam, like, like the sound of red hot metal being quenched. And then the ground began to shake beneath us, and I could hear the land itself groan, first in pain, and then in relief. The next I see this cavern fill up before my eyes, and it was some kind of blue substance, the same color blue that, of the shirt that Love had been wearing, this light, beautiful color blue. And it fills the gap, the entire gap, <clears throat> edge to edge, until, it's, until the ground is level before us. And again, humility speaks up saying, remember this, lesson number eight. When love enters the land, it covers sin and fills the gap. Ooh. We need love to enter the land, don't we? Man, we need love to enter the land. I'm amazed. I'm, I'm just stunned at what I just witnessed. And, and still it continues. Just like the beautiful garden behind us, every place that love had filled the gap, life grew. Where there was death, now there's life. <clears throat> For a long time, I just stand in amaze at the power of love over death. That whole area just filled up like a beautiful garden. And looking to my right, I could see this white eagle soaring over the land and that love had just redeemed. And the, the white eagle lands on my right shoulder, enters me. And together as one, we fly to survey the land to the right and to the left. And I could see the wondrous effects of love on the land. The land is rich and vibrant, covered with abundant life and growth. Love had completely healed sin's wound upon the land. And so after we had our little survey, this white eagle takes me back into the land, right where the, the rift had previously existed. And love and humility are waiting for me. They say, looks good, doesn't it? I say, it looks wonderful. I'm amazed at what you were able to do. The wound was so deep and the stench of sin was so bad. Humility responds, and that's lesson number nine. <clears throat> for man, this is impossible. But nothing is impossible with love. Because love never fails. And I'm just, I'm blown away by the simplicity of the truth they're sharing, and yet how incredibly profound it is. 
So from where we're standing, looking to my right and my left, I can see, <clears throat> I can see these two tribes beginning to approach. They were walking on the new land where the wound had just been healed. As the tribes approach, love speaks with a passion and intensity I'd not heard before. Love said, I have great affection for these tribes. Both have been massacred and both have had their lands unjustly stolen from them. Land that I had granted to them. Your journey is about your journey is about to meet theirs, humility adds. And you'll need both of us, love and humility, to gain access to their hearts. And as we walk forward to greet these two tribes, I can feel myself being taken out of the vision. It was coming to an end. Somewhat Disappointed, but yielding to the will of the Spirit, I find myself standing just inside the main entrance to the lobby, and I can sense that my next appointment is, is almost ready. And with that, that day's vision ended. So let me just share a few thoughts. The nine lessons from love and humility. It's not about you. It's all about Him. It's all about God. Because He is love. We can't walk the walk without humility and love. It's just not possible. Humble repentance makes love grow stronger. Love and humility won't prevent you from taking hits, but they will make sure you survive the landing, and they will help you to stand if you let them. If you let them. Stay low. Powerful lesson. Humility knows the way. But it's love that will see you through. Number seven, love stands firm when everyone else backs away. Number eight, love enters the land and it covers sin and fills the gap. You know, the land is wounded. This land is wounded. And we live with the consequences of that wound to this day. And the land needs to be healed. There's only one way for the land to be healed. And it's love. Why do we have the highest death rate per capita? Why do we have the highest cancer rate per capita in all of Canada? Why are we plagued with addictions of every kind on this small island? There's a wound in the land. I don't know what it is, but I could see the effects of it I could smell death in the land. What's going to heal the wound in the land? Love and humility is what's going to heal the wound. There, there are tribes that have been robbed. And there needs to be justice. And it's only love and humility that's going to gain entrance to their hearts. How does this get done? Only by God. That was lesson number nine. For man, this is impossible, but nothing is impossible with love because love never fails. Oh, love in the land. So in the spirit, I get to see things that I've never seen before, and then I recognize the importance of these things. 
It's almost like a new technology <laughs> that has a serious impact on the status quo. And it changes the way that people have been dealing with something, perhaps for decades. We see it in the natural all the time. There's even a terminology for it. It's called disruptive technology or disruptive innovations. It's what the car did to the horse and the buggy. It was a disruptive technology. You know the guys who were making a living making horseshoes, they were suddenly in trouble when cars became popular, right? Digital versus lead typesetting. There was a day where printers made a good living. And they would set type. I remember doing that in shop class at junior high. <laughs> they don't do it that way anymore. We have word processes. CDs versus vinyl, though there are some people who make a pretty good argument for vinyl. Digital photography versus film. Most people don't even buy cameras anymore. Why? Because we all have them on our cell phones. DVDs versus videotapes. We still got boxes of VHS tapes that we mean. I'm not sure we have anything to play them on, but we still got the tapes. <laughs> Little USB stick drives instead of the floppy disk. Remember the big square floppy disk for the computer? I think I still have some of those somewhere. I don't have anything to play them on. Little LCD, uh, LCD flat screens versus the old CRTs. A cell phone versus the telephone. Disruptive technology. The iPhone versus the cell phone. It was a game changer. There have been disruptive innovations in church history. The Reformation, Azusa Street, the Jesus People Movement, the Vineyard, when it came on the scene, was a disruptive innovation. The greatest disruptive innovation of all time, Jesus comes to earth. And then Pentecost, when he pours out his spirit on all mankind. Game changes all. Love entering the land, is a disruptive innovation. It's a game changer. I'm convinced that there is a significance to a people living loved, living love, and the land. There's a connection to the land. Consider the following verses as food for thought. I won't unpack them today. I don't have the time. But our being on this planet and how we operate in the spirit, there's a connection between us and the land. Genesis 3.17, cursed is the ground because of you. The ground itself paid a price because of the, the sin between Cain and Abel. Leviticus 25.24, concerning the year of Jubilee, you must provide for the redemption of the land. Acts 17, verses 26 to 28. Now listen to this one. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him... We live and move and have our being. You know what that's saying? That God himself decided where you would live on this planet. God himself determined when in all of history you would live in that place on this earth. There's a, he has a purpose. He has a plan. It's not a mistake. I think there's power when you have the right people 
in the right place at the right time, and it changes things. So does that mean that God determined where you live and when? And I think the answer is yes. Why? So that people would seek him. And then everyone knows this verse, 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. The land needs to be healed. Like everywhere else, P.E.I. needs to be healed. And love is the only way it's going to happen. So let's pray. Why don't we stand? So I ask you this morning, I challenge you with this question. Do you want to learn the ways of love? Do you want to know the Father? Would you like to operate in the spirit of might? I really would. And if I heard true, the only way we can be entrusted with such gifts is that we need to learn the way of love. And we need to know the Father. So, Father, we come before you this morning, Charlottetown Community Church, here on this beautiful island, and we cry out to you, O oh God, heal our land. Lord, I pray that you would make of us, the people who are gathered here today, make of us a people who know the ways of love, that we would learn the ways of love and humility. And I pray that we would know you, O oh God. Father, that we would know you, that we would actually know you. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would know you better. Do that for us, O oh God. Do it, Lord. Lord, we pray that love would enter the land. And just like I saw in that vision, that love would dive into the deepest place of the, of the ugliest wound on our land. And that the land would be transformed. I don't understand it all, Lord, but I, in my heart, in my spirit, I know that it's you. Lord, heal our land. Use us as your instruments of love. Use us as your instruments of humility. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, and do it. Do it in us. Do it with us. I pray for my friends today, oh God. I pray that you would give to them dreams and visions. Lord, just like you speak to me in a language I understand, would you speak to each individual here in a language that they understand? Speak to them in such a way that when the encounter is over, there's no doubt in their mind, oh, that was God. I know that was God. Let them know. Let each one know. Let it be custom designed for each one here. That you've communicated with them. Just like you've, you've communicated in your word throughout the ages. Speak to us, O oh God, in ways that we know that it's you. It doesn't have to be the way you speak to me. But let it be as just as impacting for them. Do it, O oh God. Do it, Lord. Do it, Jesus. I'm so tempted to close. I just feel the weight of the Spirit. Can we just wait for a second? Lord, let your spirit rest upon your people. Touch them deeper. Touch them in a deeper place.
Lord, we want the real deal. We want what's really you, God. Give us more. Take us deeper. Oh, God. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. You guys and...